When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, November 18th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake here with Katie Stockton, founder of Fair Lead Strategies. Hi, Katie. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Great to have you back with us. Before we jump in, let's just take a quick look at U.S. markets. It was a little bit of a mixed day for broader stock indices. The Dow and Russell moving lower, S&P and NASDAQ advancing. And we had some big individual movers, NVIDIA, uh, up a lot, 10% at one point. I think it's settling around 8% up after blowout earnings. Macy's, good old Macy's, brick and mortar, although with a big digital footprint now, up 21% after its earnings. I think that surprised a lot of people. And salad chain, sweet greens up as much as 85% at one point on its market debut. So we certainly had some money flying around. But um, Katie, as we as we sort of look, and let's start more broadly, I feel like so many people are saying the market's priced for perfection as we go into this earnings season, and there seemed like there was some concern, and yet we see equities kind of continue to melt up. What's your outlook uh, for the S&P 500? You know, the S&P still does have positive intermediate term momentum, and I would say that it's reacting to overbought conditions really very well, taking it in stride meaning we had some sell signals a couple weeks ago almost at this point. And since then, we've seen consolidation, not a, a significant pullback. And I think that's a testament to the momentum that's behind the uptrend. And it tells us that perhaps the market will be in store for some positive seasonality. We know that the end of the year, especially December, right up until year end, tends to be very strong for the markets. And there's a lot of reasons perhaps for that to happen. And I would say that the market tees up pretty well for that this time around. We've seen a bit of a pullback in the small cap arena, and you can see that probably best in the Russell 2000 index. But that pullback to me looks very healthy. It's generating a nearly oversold condition, and that's happening right around the breakout point for the Russell 2000 index. In fact, I'll pull up the chart for yeah, you here. I I'm yeah. really interested because a lot of people were looking at the Russell just a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to some of our guests as sort of really um, that was going to determine how they felt about things, if it could break out. And it was looking good, especially in early November. And then all of a sudden, it, it looks like it's been struggling a bit. Yeah, you know, it, it is a pullback. Um, pullbacks often follow breakouts, though. And, and of course, yeah. we had the breakout from the range. It was widely publicized. You can see it on the chart here spent two consecutive weekly closes above final resistance. And that's a confirmed breakout in our work. And notice, importantly, that it's associated with this crossover in our trustee MACD indicator that reflects newly positive intermediate term momentum. And it had been to the downside since March. So it's a pretty important momentum shift with the Russell 2000 having lifted out of its trading range and the pullback, we would assume with that in mind, is going to provide an opportunity to add exposure ahead of what we think is probably some year-end uh, sort of positive seasonality. This is an options expiration week, and those have most recently over the past like 12 months or so 
they've tended to be weaker uh, weeks. So I think we're in this sort of risk off mode this week, but it's something that will culminate as we get into the Thanksgiving days or the days surrounding Thanksgiving. So are we looking at a situation where the Russell could actually outperform, say, the S&P 500, or are they going to move up together in tandem? You know, you would expect them to remain directionally in sync in absolute terms. That's very normal. So if we see a corrective phase in Q1, like we're calling for, well, that would certainly carry over most likely to the Russell 2000 index too. But the relative strength is something that we can look at and try to understand well, geez, is that going to actually mean they're underperforming or outperforming? I'll show you on the ratio that we watch. And there's, forgive, there's a lot of indicators laid over this to complicate things. But if you can just simply look at the, the purple line, that's the 50-day moving average of the ratio between the Russell 2000 index and the S&P 500 index, you can see that it's really sort of turned the corner here. So that that's important. It means that there's just like in absolute terms, there's been a bit of a loss of downside momentum in relative terms behind the small caps as well. And it's coming at a time when you get this so-called January effect, which is small cap outperformance versus large caps that often lasts all the way through January into February. And it's based, we think, in part on like a tax loss selling bounce. Uh, you know, tax loss selling is, is probably really concentrated this year in areas of the market, of course, like small caps that had underperformed. Yeah, interesting. And, and, and good to keep in mind, because I think when we think seasonalities, you know, everyone's mind first goes to the end of year rally that we tend to get. Um, and maybe not as much, especially for newer investors, not enough attention around those tax related issues, which can be significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So I, I think it's, it's set up very well for that kind of relative performance. It's just to be determined whether that means absolute performance as well. Yeah. Before we move away from the S&P 500, are there levels or, that we should be watching on that? I mean, when you're talking about it looks constructive, uh, you know, what is the upside? Are you targeting a certain level or, you know, what should we expect for that? You know, we we have like the best way to, to gauge upside, in our opinion, is by using either Fibonacci extensions, not to get too technical, or what we call measured move. So the measured move is assuming a 100% extension of an uptrend from a tradable low. And if you want to maybe we had to fudge it a little bit on the S&P chart here by saying that the May low is a very important one, and arguably it wasn't really all that important. But if you take that as your uptrend going into the corrective phase that bottomed in early October, the measured move becomes about 47.68. You can see it on the chart there, and it, it certainly seems attainable this year. Our, our thought is it perhaps gets overshot uh, before we see a corrective phase. Uh, but it's really the best way we have of trying to understand what upside potential might be when there's really no resistance to key off of to, to judge that. Yeah. What... Uh what's going to lead or what's going to be be where where the most positive action is concentrated you know we we saw big tech lead the way and so much of the activity has been concentrated in so few names mm -hmm. um does that continue and where does the leadership come from in this market well, what we've seen of late has uh, been leadership to the upside from primarily technology and consumer discretionary. And, and that is something that we think will continue into year end. And now we're, we're at a point where year end is, is maybe four to five weeks, right? So we're not, we're not making a very big call there, but the, the technology sector benchmark on the large cap front has reached a new high 
uh, relative to the broader market. I can show you on the ratio. And that usually sees upside follow through in terms of relative performance. I'll show you it's, it's very pronounced here on XLK divided by the S&P. You can see a really nice breakout above previous highs. And so that, that should see follow through. We're seeing the same from uh, the group level in technology. So semiconductors, software, uh, there, there's still some widespread breakouts there. And then there's some other um, sort of subsectors outside of technology, but still very high growth, which would be um, electronic vehicles or electric vehicles, uh, you know, clean energy, these kind of hot spaces. Those are also exhibiting relative strength, and that's something that we expect to persist here as well. And that could help the likes of perhaps the ARK Innovation Fund. Uh, we are also seeing that the retail sector break out. And, and wow, Macy's, I agree that that was quite a move there. Yeah. <laughs> and just really an extension of its uptrend. Um, so, you know, the, the retailers that are breaking out are generally seeing very good follow through on the back of those breakouts, like a Home Depot's or, or yeah. a Home Depot or Lowe's. Those are both, uh, you know, very stretched in the way that they appear, but they really don't have any major sell signals to speak of. Yes, just just minor signs of upside exhaustion that as, as of now are, are still unconfirmed. So they, they would remain holds in our work. Uh, it'd be tough to add exposure at these levels, but sometimes it is the right thing to do. Yeah. And and you, you mentioned a couple of hot areas. I mean, we've got to talk about some of these individual stocks because there's been so much attention around them. Um, in the EV space, I mean, Tesla, uh, we know there's so much interest. It's so widely held. Um, Elon Musk has been selling shares. And so many people, I think, worried about, you know, the concentration um, and commitment to some of the share, you know, the people who own this stock. Um it seems like it's behaved fairly well. I mean, it's been orderly. It's been down, but it's been orderly as he's been selling this. You know, I think he telegraphed it, and maybe that's why. Um, but what do you, what do you see in the chart? Um, because you know that there's strong feelings around this stock. Of course, and, and listen, when you get a steep up move like we saw from Tesla, and of which are very commonplace right now in the market. You do often see really sharp retracements over the course of days, not weeks. So uh, the good news for those who like Tesla or own it is that the more fast and furious the pullback is, usually it's counter trend, meaning not the start of something more prolonged and worse. So I think it's also quite orderly. We had a couple disorderly days, but mm -hmm. it got us to the point where the um, short-term oversold conditions you can see here on the chart did return pretty quickly. That was the deepest oversold condition, by the way, since back in May. And then we saw an upturn, which is usually when we feel comfortable adding exposure, again, just from a momentum perspective. And that all occurred above support, which for us was right around 900, based in part on former resistance. So, so we like Tesla, but we also are using Tesla as an example of why we want to make sure we're always adhering to the short-term momentum gauges and managing risk of these, of, you know, these sharp pullbacks, of which there will be a point at which the pullback doesn't provide a buying opportunity. So we have to have a way to manage risk through that. Yeah. So I, I, I just want to underscore that because it's very important because, I, I you know, we, you say you like Tesla, you see upside now, but your view is very short and you have to make sure that it sounds like you're saying that you're hedged. Right. Yeah. And, and Tesla is a good example of this, in part because on the DeMarc indicators that we track, there are signs of exhaustion that are starting starting to appear for a lot of these steeper names. So 
I don't know if you can see it, it's a bit small on the chart mm -hmm. here, but there's a, a floating 13 here. That's one of the DeMarc indicators that I know your viewers tend to be pretty comfortable with. And uh, the last one did give way to the corrective phase that we saw this year. So they're not perfect market timing devices, especially on these monthlies, but they do indicate that perhaps it's getting a little bit stretched and could be in store for a corrective phase again in the new year. And that's something that we'd want to certainly navigate through by either hedging or reducing exposure. Uh, still something that probably won't damage the long-term uptrend behind Tesla, but something that would be enough of a, a drawdown that we'd want to manage us through that. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, super, super important to, to provide that time frame and timing. Um, so thank you for doing that, Katie, because there's a difference. If you're a day, tra day trader, short term, that's fine. But if you if this is a major, major holding for you, um, it sounds like you want to proceed with caution, especially as we turn into the new year. What about NVIDIA? <laughs> this was like going into earnings. I mean, this is, you know, this is this is a stock that a lot of people were thinking that they wanted to take some money off the table to lighten up because how could you possibly with like, I think it was up 300 percent on the year or something. And then, wow, wow, look what happened today. What, what is that? What, what does that chart look like? So um, there's something called a bullish flag pattern. Uh, the flag pattern essentially is a steep rally followed by a period of consolidation and then a, a breakout. It's a very short-term setup. And you can see it here on NVIDIA's chart, which I love that NVIDIA held this so-called cloud-based support, the shaded area that was a, a key support level that we wanted to see hold, ran up very steeply. There, There's your flag pole. And here's your consolidation that creates the flag itself. And then you could argue that today's gap up is the breakout from that pattern. We want to see it close. Actually, it's probably closed already above this 313.65 level to confirm. And that essentially um, supports immediate and pretty significant upside follow through based on the nature of those flag patterns. So as much as by some means you could say that NVIDIA is stretched or overbought, it still is proving to us that it can maintain that momentum. And that's what we're seeing uh, somewhat broadly speaking. You think about other names that have really had these very steep run-ups and, and AMD is one. I think um, you know Ford and GM perhaps would be another good example. They've been really holding up very well considering how steep their uptrends are, and we just want to be respectful of the momentum there for now. Yeah, great point. You just mentioned cloud, uh, having just talked about DMARC. So I want to get to a question that we have um, from Mike uh, from the exchange. Katie, how do you decide to go with the cloud model over the DMARC indicators? How often do you think DMARC indicators get it right? I use them in conjunction, so I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I, I would say that the cloud tends to be more of a trend-following gauge, something that's good to help us identify support and resistance like you see here on the NVIDIA chart. And then also the, the DeMarcs are a little bit more of an overbought, oversold measure for me. And there's a lot of DeMarc indicators that I don't use that would be maybe more of a trend-following nature. Uh, so this is not all-encompassing, but the indicators that I use tend to be more uh, designed to identify inflection points. So if you look at it here on NVIDIA as a case in point, there is a 13 cell on the DeMarc work. This is a minor cell signal that gave way to a, about a nine bar 
corrective move, which is sort of the implications of that signal. And that's irrespective of, of what the cloud is doing. But the cloud reminds us that with the context of that DeMarc signal, that the, the stock is still in an uptrend. So I think used together, they can be really very powerful. When we look at the DeMarc signals, we feel that they're one of the best ways to um, you know, get a sense of if, uh, if a trend is exhausting itself. But um, we do like to wait for them to be confirmed by a loss of momentum on the upside and, and the reverse on the downside, where they can also really come in handy is when you see sometimes gaps down, of which we've seen quite a few of them this week. Disney is a good example. Yeah. Uh, we also had one in CrowdStrike. These these DeMarc signals actually pop up sometimes on the gaps down. I think there was also one in Visa, and those sometimes would be indicative of a shakeout or false breakdown. So, mm -hmm. so we have a good success with them, but we do filter them quite a bit. Yeah, fantastic answer. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I, as you were as you were uh, talking, I just checked. Nvidia uh, looks like it closed at thir 316.75, up eight point two five percent. And some of the numbers: quarterly revenue up fifty percent year over year. Um, so if you sort of layer on some of those fundamentals with what you're talking about on the technical side, um, as we know, of course, the company famously makes graphic cards uh, as specifically for crypto mining um, and a huge in the gaming world. Um, we have a question about Bitcoin down today, again, below 58,000. I want to get your view on that. But before we do that, uh, I had a chance to sit down with uh, Mish Schneider of Market Gauge uh, last week, and we talked about a whole range of different asset classes. One of them um, was her outlook for Bitcoin, especially given the inflation concern out there. Let's have a listen to what she had to say. Well, we know that crypto was, I, I got so much flack from people on Twitter and also during interviews about how, you know, I was still saying, don't take your eyes off of gold. No, 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 gold's dead, it's dead, dead, dead. And it's all going to be about Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the ultimate hedge against inflation. But Bitcoin has actually fallen off from the highs again. It also has a relationship to the dollar in fiat currency. So there's two hmm. ways to look at the whole idea of the Bitcoin space, and then we can look at the whole cryptocurrency space, because Bitcoin is still obviously the granddaddy of the old coins, but not the end-all be-all anymore. But I'll get back to that. So in terms of Bitcoin right now, what we really have to look at is the whole idea of the cryptocurrency is here to stay. It's gone more and more and more and more mainstream. Mm -hmm. But there's a little teeny bit in this infrastructure package, by the way, that talks about regulation. Mm -hmm. And that is something that could wind up happening, at least with Bitcoin. But there's no way that the SEC is going to be able to regulate all of the different coins that keep emerging. So in terms of the cryptocurrency space, you look at Bitcoin, obviously, again, as a barometer, kind of like we would look at Tesla as a barometer for the EV space. Um, but at the same token, what we're seeing now is a lot of rotation into some of the other coins like Polkadot and Solana. And that full interview is available on Plus and Pro Tiers. Uh, Katie, what are you looking at in terms of the Bitcoin? Um, and this is also, by the way, a question we have coming in from Louise. Do I love says a very predictable question, but still, Katie, what's your outlook on Bitcoin crypto in the short term leading up to year end? So we just sent around an email to subscribers to sort of give them peace of mind um, about the Bitcoin pullback, which, of course, has extended to some other altcoins as well. 
I think it's counter trend. Uh, that's in part because it's still above some support. If you see on the chart here, it's below the 50-day moving average, but this is where the cloud model can really come in handy and, and tell you that there's a more forgiving gauge of support on the chart. So that cloud is still very much intact and, and really defines the intermediate term uptrend in our work. And now we have a newly oversold condition on a short-term basis. So we'd like to see stabilization and a little bit of an upturn in our short-term gauges to signal a re-entry, but, but we don't think we're too far from that in terms of timing. So, so we're kind of out there waiting and looking for an opportunity to, to add exposure again, noting that Ether has already confirmed a breakout to new all-time highs, and it's likely just a matter of time before Bitcoin does the same. So that's so interesting. When you when you say you 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 sent a uh, a note out to clients, were people getting concerned? What was the um, were you getting asked about it based on the downturn that we saw? We were, yeah. So we got a lot of questions over the past week or so, and not not even just cryptocurrencies, but just generally speaking, names that were retracing a little bit, and that that always stirs up some concerns, especially in an environment that is characterized by very bullish sentiment. Bullish meaning it could be a contrarian takeaway, like people are too complacent or greedy, and that's when they get a little bit skittish around the highs. Uh, but but in reality, the pullback to me is just, just a retracement. Um, I wouldn't just say it's noise, but rather perhaps an opportunity uh, to add exposure. So we definitely were getting some questions. A lot of them had to do with, with the altcoins, um, you know, some of which were down on some important support. And really, those support levels are very much in play for some of them at, at this time. So it's a little bit tenuous, and I, I appreciate where those questions are coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad people are asking them, you know. Um, because it means they're sort of, I think, maybe taking a look at what, how protected they are, whether they should, you know, um, sort of change their portfolio or at least take that into mind if we're in a period where we're going to see some volatility. So that's that's actually encouraging. I'd be more nervous, I think, if people weren't asking and we're blindly right, yeah. just buying every dip, right? Um, yeah. In the soundbite, we 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 heard Mish make the point that you know. Um, there's a relation to um, many different issues, whether you're talking about regulatory, you know, risk can come in anywhere. Um, what are we looking at if we leave cryptocurrencies and go back into the fiat world? Um, what are we looking at at the U.S. dollar? Because that's been very resistant, a lot of people sounding bullish on the dollar. You know, we have been bullish on the dollar, and we use the dollar index or DXY as our primary benchmark. The upside that we've seen there is meaningful, especially of late, and I can pull up a chart here as well. Uh, you know, the, the follow-through is on the back of a long-term double bottom formation. So if you look at the weekly bar chart of the dollar index, which will pull up here slowly but surely, there is sort of that, that W pattern, right? Uh, this one here. And that W tends to give way to a breakout, a clearing of resistance on the chart. And we've seen actually a couple of those on the dollar index. And uh, and yet, um, with the DeMarc signals that we have, we're looking for some consolidation for about four weeks, pretty much through year end, uh, largely euro driven. If you, if you look at the euro, which really is one of the big driving forces behind the dollar index, you can see there's a signal on the euro that suggests it's overdone on the downside in the short term. So as much as we have breakouts and it affirms the long-term turnaround, uh, we do look for a short-term counter trend move here. And that would should be short-lived and get us into the uptrending mode behind the dollar again in the new year. It, it, is the dollar strength going to impact uh, commodities at all? 
you know, it's kind of unusual, but at the same time we saw a breakout in the dollar index, we saw a breakout in gold prices, which is something you wouldn't come to expect given yeah. their historical correlations or lack thereof, right? But that breakout looks somewhat real for gold too. So we're just trying to reconcile that. It's a long-term triangle formation for gold prices as one commodity we're watching 1835 as the former resistance area. If that really holds it in the next week or so, the breakout's confirmed and at least tells us that gold has kind of come out of its, um, I guess, neutral phase perhaps. Uh, but it is hard to reconcile how that's going to look in terms of the first half of next year, which one will sort of win that battle. Uh, yeah. But as it pertains to crude oil prices, crude oil prices are in corrective mode or consolidation mode. Uh, but we don't really see any negative impact. Uh, you know, the long-term momentum is still very much behind it. Uh, we also even have, we highlighted in our morning note, a little minor breakout in lumber prices. So, so it's a little bit disjointed right now in terms of the correlations, but we're not seeing a major impact. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, that, that 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 does make it difficult to navigate. By the way, the lumber, the breakout in lumber, not going to be good news to anybody I know who's been dealing with renovations or housing or hoping to wait and see a pullback because it's been brutal. Um, some of the price increases. Um, are you are you are we anticipating? It sounds like for for many uh, hold whether we're looking at the broader markets when we're looking at individual stocks, there's a very constructive tone. It seems you have on a on a lot of them into year end. Are we looking at a lot a lot sort of rougher waters when we turn the corner? Um, into the new year, you know, are you looking that far out? Because we certainly have had people warning about it. Even even this week, the head of Goldman Sachs saying um, there is a lot more greed than greed than fear, and it's going to get it's going to get a lot harder, a lot uglier. Yeah, we've likened the current environment to late 2017, where we saw a pretty good run up into year end, a little follow through at the very start of the new year, and then a good corrective phase. And I think that 2022 could be somewhat like 2018, which was overall more of a neutral year, but with a lot of volatility from an, an intermediate term perspective. So not, not the same kind of low volatility regime that we've gotten accustomed to uh, since early spring this year. I think, I think that's probably going to change. And the best way to navigate it is really going to be to leverage the sector rotation. And, and that's almost always the case for us. We like to really watch the relative strength on the sector level to try to manage through that. As an example, if we do get a corrective phase, well, the downtrends in the utilities, staples, and um, healthcare sectors in relative terms should get a good relief rally. So that would perhaps be a good place to put some money temporarily or put on some relative trades in. Hmm. The one, the one thing we didn't talk about at all were bonds. Um, are you, you know, what are you looking at in terms of that part of the market? Yeah, if you look at 10-year Treasury yields, they've been working higher gradually. And the gradual word is important because 
when you see them uh, sort of shoot right up, that's less sustainable. But when you see them stair step higher in the way that they have done recently, that's that is more sustainable typically. So we're watching the resistance around 177 to 179 as a hurdle on the chart. And above that, that's where I think we're talking about 2% plus. And, and perhaps that has an impact on market sentiment more broadly. It's, it's really hard to say what that magic number is, but two would have a psychological significance, we could say. So we do think yields are going to work higher somewhat slowly. And um, not until we see them above about two and a half percent, would they be able to get out of their long, long term downtrend channel going back decades? Yeah, I think I think what you said about timing is so important because if it's a rapid move, that's what's really rattled markets, whether it's been on the, you know, on the shorter short end or in the 10-year. If it's orderly and telegraphed, that's that's different. People have a little bit of an opportunity to adjust, not saying there won't be an impact, but um it feels different when that's happening. Um we I think Ross, just in case uh Ross we have a question from Ross in case he missed it. We talked about crude oil briefly. He's asking about the supply chain snarls affecting the price of crude oil, if at all. There's so many dynamics happening with oil. If you look at the pullback we had today, very much that's politically based, right? Jawboning coming from um, from the U.S., Biden, and China, all talking about strategic you know, releases. Um, just walk us through again the price action that you see there, because we did see a pullback. Is that temporary? One would think if it's based on these you know, political wins, it might be, but what are you seeing from from price action? Maybe that will help answer Ross's question. I mean, it's undoubtedly a significant pullback, but we have to keep it within the the framework from where it's come. <laughs> so mm. it, it seems to me like a retracement that's somewhat healthy. You can see the short-term downside momentum really easily here in this MACD, right? But look at the positive momentum that preceded it. So we're viewing it as something that is counter trend and there's support for crude oil, at least for WTI, like very close to um, in line with current levels or just the recent lows. We're watching $77 per barrel and it's getting close to oversold territory on a short term basis. I don't want to minimize the loss of intermediate term momentum. So perhaps that's a setback that carries us through the next quarter or so, and it's a bit more of a range-bound type of situation. Uh, mm -hmm. But that wouldn't necessarily damage what has been a very long-term turnaround uh, supported by the long-term trend-following gauges. And, and I don't expect to see those roll over like we have done with the daily and the weekly gauges. Yeah. And and we have to remember the producers are very, uh, they want range bound. They, they they If it's too high, it kills demand and creates the political firestorm we're seeing. Um, and so they know that. And so they're going to be working from their side to try to keep it in that range bound, uh, range bound area. We have a question from Ralph. And I don't know, um, I don't know if you have an uh, answer on this, Kate, if it's something you look at. So feel free to pass if you don't. Um, any opinion on the bulk shipping sector? Is that something you look at? You know, there are some benchmarks for it. It's not typically what I, I look at. I think, what is it? Um, oh, goodness, I'm going to forget it. Um, the shipping index. Um, the dry shipping, I think it's the Baltic dry. That's right. BDIY. Let me try I to pull even believe that you just came up with that off the top of your head, by the way. <laughs> Kudos to you. <laughs> the, the Baltic Dry Index, BDIY, at least on, on my systems here. So, so let's pull it up and see what we think. 
Um, this is the beauty of technical analysis is that we can have an opinion uh, just based on price alone. Um, so to frame this longer term, you can see uh, the, the big base breakout. This is on a monthly chart at the BDIY. Big breakout, and then we saw some signs of exhaustion. And those signs of exhaustion would have implications for months uh, based on the long-term measures. At the same time, we have a long-term overbought downturn. So that would suggest that we'll see more corrective price action following this big breakout. Um, but perhaps towards the end of next year, it'll be able to come out of that. So for what it's worth, if that, if that answers the question, it does look prone to more corrective price action on the Baltic drive for several months. Fantastic. There you go, Ralph. We appreciate all of the questions that were sent in today. Katie, you're a marvel. Thank you so much. Thank so fun you. to see you, see you do it on the fly in real time as well. Not many people can do that. And appreciate you walking us through some of these indicators and why you use them too. I think it's so helpful for everyone in the audience. So thank you. Of course. Um, come back and see us again soon. I will, for sure. And thanks to all of you for watching The Daily Briefing. Ash will be back at the helm tomorrow with Raul. You want to check that out and mark your calendars. We are, as we've been telling you, taking over Vegas. Uh, December 9th through 11th, Real Vision and MGM Resorts are joining forces to host a groundbreaking event on the biggest revolution since the internet. Yep, you got it, blockchain. We're going to be talking about the present, the future, and all the industries that are being disrupted at the iconic MGM Grand in Las Vegas. For more information, you can go over to our site at realvision.com slash MGM takeover. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.